Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Here in Acts chapter 2, we've been looking at this message of the Apostle Peter here on the day of Pentecost. And, and we've been spending some time here at the end of Peter's message. Uh, it says in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so as Peter preached to them about the, the Lord Jesus and uh, who he was and, and his resurrection and the coming wrath of God, uh, you see that the people say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. To repent is to change your mind. And when you believe, when God has given a message to be, to be believed and you believe it, you have to change your mind about some things. Right? And that's what, that's what repentance is. And Peter there tells them to repent. He's telling them to repent really about the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had rejected him. They had killed him. But he says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, both Lord and Christ. And he tells them to repent about that. And then he tells them to be baptized, he says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, here as he, as he uh, talks about baptism, you see how the two in Peter's, in Peter's message, the two just go right together, repentance and water baptism. Right? Water baptism today, we're going to talk about what, you know, look at what Peter is, is talking about here. But uh, water baptism today is, you know, one of the most controversial issues uh, among various denominations. And so, you know, there's arguments about what the significance is of water baptism. Is it necessary for salvation? Is it, is it just a, a testimony? Is it not something to be practiced at all? Um, so there's, you know, there's questions uh, among people about is it for salvation or, or something else. Um, but but a lot of the a lot of the debate and a lot of a lot of disagreement that people have isn't even about something as significant of, as that. A lot of the the disagreement is about what ought to be the mode of baptism, right? Uh, should should it be by immersion, or should it be by sprinkling, or should it be by pouring? Um, among those who say it should be by immersion, some say that it ought to be you ought to be dunked backwards, some some forward, some three times, some one time. Um, some say you ought to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Others say you ought to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Of course, some some believe that. Uh, you ought to baptize babies, others that you ought to baptize only adults. And there's all this, you know, all this uh, dissension and, and disunity over this issue of 
baptism. All right? And many people, what, it, what they're trying to do in, in um, practicing water baptism is they're, they're trying to do a lot like what, you know, when we talked about the speaking in tongues and that kind of thing, they're trying to continue today what was happening there on the day of Pentecost. Now we saw how the, the, those gifts uh, are something that were temporary and that passed away, but people are trying to take other elements of what happened here on the day of Pentecost and, and continue them to today. Uh, go, go over to the Gospel of Mark and go to Mark chapter 16. Now we looked at this passage here in uh, Mark 16 when we were talking about those gifts and, and speaking in tongues and that kind of thing. But notice here, now this is Mark's account of the Great Commission. Alright? And Mark records some things a little bit differently than what Matthew records. Of course, when most people would talk about the Great Commission, they would go over into Matthew and, and uh, read it in there. Uh, in fact, many people dispute whether these verses even belong in the Gospel of Mark. You may have a note in your Bible that says that, that you know a lot of these verses at the end of the Gospel of Mark don't belong there. Uh, I can assure you they do belong there. God has fulfilled His promise to preserve His Word. And those verses belong there. But the reason people don't like them is because they don't like what the verses say. And if you can't somehow explain away what the verses say, then, you know, maybe the explanation is just to say the verses don't belong there in the first place. But if you look at Mark 16, verse 15, here it says, He, Christ, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now here, as, as Christ commissions, after His resurrection, this is after His death and resurrection, just before His ascension, here He commissions these disciples to go out. He commissions them to go out and preach good news, and it's still that good news of the kingdom, right? Uh, he goes out and, and commissions them to, to preach good news, preach the gospel to every creature. And you see the close link there between believing and baptism. It says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, even here, baptism is not being presented as a work to do in order to be saved or to, in order to earn eternal life. But you see the, the close connection there. The assumption is that the one who believes is going to be baptized. Right? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, and, and then it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. And so what you have here is Christ commissions the, the disciples after his resurrection. What you have is he has, he has them going out to proclaim good news, proclaim the gospel, and the result of that is people are going to believe, be baptized, 
and have all of these signs, not necessarily every individual would have all these signs, but these signs would follow them that believe, they'll cast out devils, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, drink poison, lay hands on the sick, and uh, they'll recover. Okay? All of those things go together. And so here it's no, it's no wonder that we see all of those things on the day of Pentecost. Right? We see those signs, those miraculous signs that it talks about there. And we see Peter telling the people to repent and be baptized. And he says, if they'll repent and be baptized, he says they'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost as well, which will be signified by those same kind of signs that you see with the disciples. Right? You have all of those things going on together there. Now what we saw in our study of those gifts is that the, the, the gifts part of it, the, the tongues, all those things, were temporary and they ceased. And that ought to cause us to think about some of the other elements of what's going on there on the day of Pentecost as well. If, if we go out and preach the gospel to somebody, and they're pricked in their heart like the men on the day of Pentecost were, and they say, well, what, what should I do? Should we tell them the same thing that Peter told them there? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, if you go back to, to uh, Acts chapter 2, notice the order there uh, with regard to, to uh, what Peter tells them to do. He tells them to repent. Okay? Again, we, we saw a lot about what that means over the last couple of weeks. So he begins with repentance. He tells them to repent. And he tells them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he says, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now at the very least, we, we can see that there's been a change in that order. Right? Somebody today, when, when you get later into the Word of God, and even through the book of Acts, you're going to see that order change. Where the giving of the Holy Ghost is later on in the book of Acts is not going to come after baptism, but it's going to come before water baptism. And actually what we're going to see as, as we go through the book of Acts is gradually the water baptism itself just becomes superfluous. It, it, it no longer is something that is emphasized. Alright? But, but why, why the emphasis here on water baptism? Um, go, go back to Mark again. Go to Mark chapter 1 this time. Um, what you can see is that what Peter and the twelve are preaching here, when Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, there are a few elements of what Peter says there that are new, but most of it is not new. In fact, most of it is the same message that was being preached before the cross. If you look at Mark chapter 1, here it's going to describe the ministry of John the Baptist. And John, this is before the Lord Jesus Christ has even been, been revealed. Nobody even knows uh, that Jesus is the Christ here at this point, uh, except for maybe a, maybe a select few. But in Mark chapter 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, doesn't that sound like we just saw over there in Acts chapter 2? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. What did John the Baptist preach even before Jesus Christ came on the scene and began his earthly ministry? John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Right? Uh, when, when John was preaching, now certainly John wouldn't have preached the same content in his message as what Peter did. He wouldn't have, been, he wouldn't have preached about how they, with wicked hands, had crucified the Lord because it hadn't happened yet. Right? But John was still calling Israel to repentance. And you see, if, if there were people by John's message that were pricked in their heart, what would John tell them to do? Essentially the same thing Peter does there to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Okay? We'll talk about what that means for the remission of sins. But, but you see, you see that continuity of that message, whether it be here with John the Baptist before the cross, or whether it be with Peter after the cross. Um, go, go to Matthew chapter 3. Notice here again, this will be about John the Baptist. If you see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then if you skip down to um, if you skip down to verse verse five, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now that confession of sins is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where God told Israel that they would have to confess their sins and the sins of their fathers and that they had walked contrary to God and God had walked contrary to them, right? It was that, that Leviticus 26, how at the, at the end of those, those curses, they were going to turn back to the Lord and uh, He was going to remember the covenant, right? That's where they're at in, in these events, okay? That's what they're out there confessing. They were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Notice in verse 7, though, John did not baptize everybody that came to him. Because it says when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are the religious leaders of, of that day, the Pharisees would be the religious right, the Sadducees would be the religious left. Uh, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And and uh, if you skip down to verse 11, for instance, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. And so you see, whether it be John the Baptist, uh, later the, you know, the disciples, uh, while the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth, they were preaching the same thing and, and baptizing. You see that close connection between repentance and water baptism. Now, it's interesting here that John does not have to give some long explanation about what the water baptism he's performing signifies, right? We often treat water baptism, and most people would assume that water baptism is a New Testament ordinance, right? Most people would assume that. Uh, but here's John. Here's John 
uh, who just comes onto the scene after 400 years of silence by God. No prophet sent to Israel. Uh, you know, he's not, there's no, no uh, uh, additional scripture being given for 400 years. John the Baptist comes on the scene and he preaches this baptism of repentance. And not only do the people come out to him, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees who know the word of God, they come out and they want to have a part in John's water baptism as well. Um, John doesn't give some long explanation about what the baptism signifies because they already knew what water baptism signified because baptism is not initiated in the New Testament. Baptism goes back to the Old Testament. All right, And these Pharisees and Sadducees who knew the Old Testament, they knew the significance of what John was saying and the connection between water baptism and that. They knew that this water baptism had to do again with Israel turning back to God in light of that wrath to come. You see what, what John says? He says to them, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. That tells you being water baptized, repenting and being water baptized had to do with escaping that wrath of God that was going to come upon upon Israel and on really on the whole world. Um, so so the question is what did these Pharisees know? You know, it seems they knew something. They knew something about water baptism. What did they know? Um, if you if you question you know, whether water baptism really is an Old Testament ordinance. Go over to the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Part of the, part of the confusion about baptism is there's some, some confusion that's caused by matters of translation. Okay? Realize that the word baptize in English is not an English word. Uh, it, what it is is it's an anglicized form of the Greek word. The Greek word baptizo would be the verb baptize. The, the word baptismos would be the noun, baptism. Alright? And when, when the English translators were translating the Bible, the, the word baptism you know, had, had become, from the early English translations, the word baptism was a word that people were familiar with, and they, they tended to keep, like King James translators, tended to keep that word baptism and baptize instead of translating it. Now, there are a few places where they translate the Greek word, okay? But the word really just means a, a washing. Um, it has the idea of to dip or to dump. Okay, one of the ways that uh, that the word was used, it's it's not. We think of baptize as having a a religious connotation, but the Greek word doesn't necessarily have that. Uh, one of the ways that the Greek word was used was to speak of dyeing cloth, and the way you would take that cloth, that white cloth, dip it into the dye. And then you, you know, you bring it up out of the dye. And that, and that, by the way, uh, winds up being a, a very powerful picture of what the Bible signifies when it talks about baptism. Because whatever kind of baptism, there's a lot of different baptisms in the Bible. Some of them involve water, some of them do not. But whatever kind of baptism is being talked about in the Bible, there's always some identification being in 
being being performed there. You know, when you when you dip cloth into dye, it becomes identified with the dye so that cloth that previously was white, you dip it into the crimson dye and now it's crimson. It becomes identified with the dye. It takes its identity from that that dye. And again, any kind of baptism in the Bible, there's always an identification taking place. But but I want you to notice here in in Hebrews, here's the place where they did translate the word and because they translated the word in this case, sometimes people people miss the significance of what the verse says here. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, let's start in... We're kind of breaking into the, the context here, but the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and how it was a picture of better things and, and you know more perfect things to come. And you see in verse 8 it says, The Holy Ghost this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Now, when it uses the word washings there in verse 10, that is the word baptisms. Now, this is talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the tabernacle. It's talking about the law. And it says that that law stood in meats and drinks, right? It told told you, not only did it tell you what you could eat and drink, but, but here really we'd be talking about the meat offerings and the drink offerings, that the tabernacle stood in these meat offerings and drink offerings. Um, you see, it stood in meats and drinks and diverse washings or baptisms, and it says carnal fleshly ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. You see how it links there baptisms with animal sacrifices and with other carnal ordinances of the law. They were these things that pointed to spiritual things that were going to be fulfilled later on. All right? And uh, here the writer of Hebrews, again, includes baptisms, these washings, among those carnal ordinances of the law that would be imposed until the time of Reformation. Okay, well, what were some of the baptisms under the law? Uh, and again, you know, the Old Testament is going to use the term wash and washings, but it's the same word. That's, that's what baptisms are, washings. Okay, what were some of the washings under the law? Well, here it talks about the tabernacle. And, you know, when, when for instance, the priests were going to serve in the tabernacle, they had to be washed with water. In fact, there was a, a brass laver there in the courtyard of the tabernacle where the priests would have to go and wash before they could perform the service of the Lord. They couldn't come dirty and serve the Lord in that way. They had to be washed. Um, not only that, go, go back. There are all kinds, like it says, it, it says diverse baptisms, diverse washings. Go back to Leviticus chapter 14. Here's an example. And in fact, Leviticus 14 provides us really with a, 
uh, a, a fitting example of you know what water baptism meant to the nation of Israel and why John was practicing it and why it's being practiced on the day of Pentecost. Uh, here in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1, it begins to talk about leprosy. Here it talks about a, a leper, but it talks about a leper in the day of its cleansing. Okay, so, so Leviticus 14, verse 1 says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper. In the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought unto the priest. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp. The priest shall look and behold if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. The priest has the job of certifying that that leprosy is gone. Leprosy, by the way, in the Bible, is always used as a symbol of sin. Verse 4, Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. Verse 5, The priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. But notice then it says um, in, in verse 8, He that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair, wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. And it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes, also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. And then on the eighth day, it talks about additional sacrifices. But you see those washings there. Now, when it says he shall be clean, there's, there's two issues of cleanness here. Uh, remember that before any of this process began, the priest had to come and verify that the leprosy was gone. He's not going through this process to get rid of the leprosy. Right? He's not, he's not uh, being washed with water here to get rid of the leprosy. If that's as easy as it was, uh, nobody would have had leprosy. But the leprosy had to be gone first, and then he would be washed with the water, and he would be ceremonially clean. You know, there are all kinds of things under, under the law that could make you unclean. If you touched a dead body, it made you unclean. If you touched an unclean animal, it made you unclean. And to get back into a state of cleanness, you had to be washed with water. Well, that's a, that's a good, that's one of the pictures of what the significance of baptism was for Israel. When John shows up and John starts saying, you need to repent and be baptized, the Israelites understood what that meant. That meant you're filthy and you need to be cleaned. And this is a, a symbolic, this washing with water is symbolic of that. Alright? They understood that. Because they went through all kinds of washings all the time to maintain the state of cleanness. The problem was they weren't really clean. You see, the Pharisees come here and they want John to baptize them. And he tells them, you go and bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. You let me see that you've really repented first 
Just like the priest would have to make sure the leprosy was really gone first. Right? John says, you show me, you show me that you've really repented and, and then you can be baptized. All right? So that it wasn't just some ritual that people went through. It was something that was really symbolic of, a, of a, an inward cleansing that had taken place. Okay? That's the significance there in, in uh, when John comes baptizing. And that's still the significance in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.